Hello and welcome back to Alderpod. Today's Alderpod is number 22. This is chapter 20 of the Aldersgate, The Merry Gentleman. Brick could hear them arguing again, Sir Jesper and Sir Ander. Jesper wanted to kill him. Ander wanted to use him. It was old news by now. It wasn't as if he'd had a say in the matter, though. They'd put a gag in his mouth and a dirty rag of a blindfold across his eyes, thrown him in the filth-strewn stables. Ander wanted his skill as a smith, but Jesper believed him beyond rehabilitation, having been utterly corrupted by the likes of the Order of the Asp. He tuned them out and listened to his own breathing. It helped to calm him down, to center himself in spite of the pain, the hunger. He had been uncomfortable and hungry so long, he was starting to forget that his life had ever been anything other than pain and need. But even behind the cloth, he could tell the changes of day by the sounds from outside, the different birds and the changes in light as he moved his face just so. He figured it had been two days, at least two sunrises. Part of him was sure that this was part of his punishment for making with Denna Gray. In the dark behind his eyes, he replayed the event in his head, over and over again. He could see the tears in her eyes, the look of shock and horror on her face, her delicate hands twisting the fabric of his shirt. He had never thought about her in such a manner before that day, not aside from casual glances. He had only had eyes for Cora. But she had been so distant, so remote, so impossible and stubborn. And then there was Denna, pleading, asking. He had held the secret so long, had by turns nursed it and ignored it, that now he knew it was free off in the world and well. It couldn't be up to any good. Perhaps it was a foolish mistake for both of them, but it could prove deadly for Brick in the end. At least he'd confessed of a sort before now. It seemed certain that Jesper would get his way, and if he did, Brick didn't have much longer to live. A few moments later, having just approached the stillness in the dark he had been searching for, he heard the approach of one of the knights. There was a subtle but more distinct tinkle at the end of his spurs as they rattled. These were Anders, larger, more ornate than standard military attire. Brick hadn't had a good look at the man yet, but he could tell a great deal about him by his spurs. So he wasn't surprised when he heard Anders' even baritone address him. "'Well, I won't ask how you've slept,' he said." up above Brick. He could hear the creak of wood. Likely the knight was leaning on the stall door. We've just returned from the most remarkable feast on our behalf. They slaughtered half the flock for us. There was such roast meat as I have not seen in half a year. Brick tried to ignore the image of crusted, juicy meat in his head. His stomach roiled, but he wouldn't respond. He knew Ander was capable of much worse. Well, it is time for us to move on. This evening we must depart this lovely place as we're bound for Hartley Castle to return our bounty. It seems the warrant on Sir Gawain explicitly addressed the matter of him being alive to collect the reward. So we've kept him mostly alive. Brick tried not to bristle at the mention of Sir Gawain. He knew better than to take the bait. Ander paused and Brick could hear him kick some of the filthy hay out of his way as he approached. Brick had not been allowed to move, even to use the outhouse, so the state of his stall left much to be desired. But he had gone far beyond embarrassment now. 
There is a rather complicated matter, as you may have gathered, which involves you, continued Ander. Regretfully, there are no details from the Crown regarding what to do with you and your pretty hands. Brick could hear a strange note in the man's voice, like a wanting, a desire. Brick had heard it before. Sir Jasper wants to kill you and have done with it, but I think it's a waste. There's been enough dead snakes in our paths these days, and most of them were not worth, worth the boots on their feet. You, however, your dearly late father showed us what you were capable of, and a pair of hands like that would be a certain advantage to us. Here, last water he had was late last night, and there was no remnant of it now. His voice was so rough that he couldn't say anything at first. He just gasped, glad to gulp down the air as foul as it was. And let's get this off, too. Gently again, Andrew reached behind Brick's head and cut the blindfold deftly with his knife. The material fell away, leaving Brick momentarily blinded in the morning light of the stables. His eyes streamed, and he tasted tears in his mouth as he shook, both with fury and with exhaustion. Finally his eyes adjusted, and he saw Andrew for the first time in the natural light of the sun. He was handsome as men come, his face round but not fat, with a dimpled cheek and a smooth, closely shaved jaw. Andrew's eyes were large and dark brown, not too wide-set, but intelligent and clear. His hair was chestnut brown and fell in soft curls around his brow and ears, a comely fellow in all ways. It was no surprise the courtesans favored him as they did. "'And we meet at last,' Ander said, smiling. He clapped Brick on the shoulder, which sent a spasm of pain down his arm. The pain was a drop in the ocean, however, compared to Brick's cramped legs and searing wrists. Ander then stood, taking a few steps backwards, as if to get a better look at him. He didn't look like an evil person, Brick thought, but he'd heard that voice before, a hundred times since his capture. He knew the poison it was capable of. Sorry, Brick said through gritted teeth. His wrist was still burning with pain to say nothing of his shoulder. But I'll have to forego formalities. Ah, so clever, laughed the knight. Quite clever. Brick was confused. This merry gentleman seemed quite a contract to the, contrast to the man just teasing him moments ago about food and water. It's something else altogether, Brickley, he could hear Gowan say, when you have to look at him right in the eyes. Andrew was rubbing his eyes with a lacy white handkerchief now, and continued, "'Well, well, it's good to see your spirits aren't quite broken. Jasper is a bit of a brute when it comes to the asp. He hates them, and especially that menace Gowan, with as much of himself as he can muster, which is a great deal, I assure you. "'So why doesn't he just kill me?' Brick asked, wincing in his pain as he tried to shuffle some of his weight. "'Because I won't let him,' Andrew said, as if this were the most obvious fact in the world." As I said, you're too valuable. Clearly, Brick retorted. Ha <laughs> ha! laughed Ander again. Clever, clever boy! Brick did not like the way he called him boy. Suffice it to say, I've finally convinced Jesper that killing you outright would be a waste. You understand that Jesper is a man of ration and of logic. Taking you on among us would be foolish in light of the fact that you've been privy to the Asp's barbaric initiation. Brick couldn't think of anything to say that wouldn't end up getting him kicked or smacked, and he honestly didn't have the strength for much more of either. So he said nothing, and let Ander talk, nodding. The knight grinned and smoothed the front of his waistcoat, which was kept pristinely, the surface of the buttons gleaming gold. 
His gesture put Brick in the mind of a crow preening himself. I've arranged for a test for you this afternoon. You will be asked to do a few rudimentary exercises on the forge, as it were, and then challenged a little more. Brick was about to say something more regarding the subject of food, but Ander continued speaking. Of course you'll be bathed and fed and allowed a little rest if you like. Jasper won't abide by you in your current state, but you'll have to go by our rules. With the feeling that he was about to reach into a bee's nest, Brick asked, Rules? You'll be shackled, of course, Ander continued, and I volunteered to keep you under my guard every moment to be sure you'll not betray our trust. If we do decide to keep you, you'll not be granted knightship, of course, but rather taken on as a permanent indentured servant. A slave? Such an ugly word, Ander said. Slavery was abolished decades ago. We'd have nothing of it. But you'd consider your life in our debt, would you not? After all, Jasper would kill you without a moment's hesitation were it not for me. You should be grateful. Aye, Brick said, noncommittally, as he'd heard Gowan do a hundred times since joining with the Asp. Ander grinned, his neat teeth gleaming. Brick wondered how much combat this fellow had actually seen to have so many of his teeth still intact. Hardly any of the asp he knew had full sets themselves, Lark included. So you'll do it? he asked. As much as he hated the idea of being shackled and constantly under Sir Andrew's eye, Brick knew that as things rested at the moment, too much longer in the squalor would kill him long and slow. At least if he made a mess of everything after, it'd mean he'd have a bath, some food, and half a chance to get the hells out of here. Or to find death quickly, as it were. Aye, said Brick, feeling as if he'd just made a deal with demons. expected that the oak would have turned the manor upside down, but as he emerged, his legs tied just enough to give him a walking stride, he was surprised to see that nothing had changed. Courtesans went about their business still, hands intertwined with oaks guard here and there. Farmers brought in their harvests, workhorses following behind. It smelled sweeter than the day they had first arrived, the heady perfume almost too much for Brick to bear after the stench of his stall for so long. The one difference was that no one looked at him. As Ander led him by a length of rope like a common dog, not one of the women or workers caught his eye. They all looked past him, as if he were no more than a post or a tree or a part of the wall itself. And he had a feeling it had nothing to do with his bedraggled state, and everything to do with the change of regime. Ander, said a familiar voice, warm and sweet, lunch will be ready in half a turn. Brick saw Salvia leaning out of one of the windows to the kitchens, her long hair down over her shoulders. She wore no shirt, and her breast swung free. He had last seen her intertwined with Gowan in the gardens. Then he had thought she was a true friend, someone he knew Gowan trusted implicitly. He thought she might even love him. But the smile on her face, now for Ander, was no less dazzling than it had been upon their arrival. Except now, she didn't even look at him. Brick stared down at his feet and continued to walk, making sure not to trip. He didn't want to see any more of the manor, 
Somehow the transition from the stable was more painful seeing the manor flourish in spite of his absence. Ander called out to someone in the distance, but Brick wasn't listening. His ears were ringing and he wanted to heave again. The sun was hot on his bare back and he was sweating as he progressed, both from fatigue and emotion. He could feel rivulets of sweat trickle from his scalp and down his neck, tickling the hair near his tailbone. In a strange flash, he saw himself as the stag in his vision during his initiation. A beast, he thought. That's what I've become. They're drawing you a bath now, said Ander, leading Brick down the slow slope toward the bathhouse. There were a few tiled private rooms there that Brick had seen during his initial tour. He imagined that's where Ander was taking him now. After the cleaning, Brick was led again, further mortified, through the main bathing chamber, where at least a dozen men and women were frolicking together. He was brought to the dressing rooms and dressed in a simple linen shirt and a pair of dark cotton trousers. They were a few sizes too large, but with a belt managed to stay up. He was glad for once to be out of the filthy garments he'd been wearing since two nights ago, but was losing what clarity he'd had from exhaustion. Food, food, Ander said as someone appeared at the doors to the dressing room and then vanished again. Some cheese, some wine, and a bit of bread to settle the stomach. How does that sound? Brick said nothing, but ate the bread and cheese. Wine, he expected, would be a foolish choice, so he hesitated. It's weak, Ander said after taking a sip. Cut with water and a bit of juice. It'll help clear your head. Trust me. Because he was so thirsty after the salty cheese and bread, he took the wine. It was sour to his tongue, burning through the cuts he'd acquired the last few days, but as it hit his stomach, it did calm him. He felt his heart slow a bit, and his breath ease as he finished the glass with a deep draft. "'That's my boy,' Ander said. Brick still hated how he called him that. A figure at the door reappeared. He was a page by the looks of it, but young, perhaps only thirteen. His white-blonde hair was cut short around his ears, and he wore a crimpled hat in the style of Queensland messengers. He held a box in his hand, and he handed it to Ander. "'Thank you, Walt,' said Ander. "'Now go back to Sir Jesper and tell him we'll meet him presently in the forge.' The box was mahogany, inlaid with filigreed scroll-work oak leaves. Ander opened the lacquered top and pulled out a pair of handcuffs, connected by a copper-colored wire. Brick wasn't sure if it was the wine, but he could swear that the wire emitted a soft green glow, the same precise shade as copper when exposed to the air, a dusty kind of green. He had seen it a thousand times in Professor's workshop. The shackles seemed to draw light to them, and then consume it, lost in the green glow. "'You recognize this?' Ander asked, swinging the shackles on one of his fingertips. "'You should. It's one of Professor's inventions, though admittedly augmented.' The original intent was to use this to control livestock, or particularly errant bulls. It's barbaric, perhaps, but useful. You see, he paused and clicked one of the shackles around Brick's left hand. At first you feel nothing. He attached the other to the right wrist. The copper was cold on his skin, contrasting against the dark marks of his initiation tattoos. Once the shackles were secured, Ander then took his silver knife, a stiletto, Brick believed it was called, and sliced off the rope, which was still damp from bathing. It fell to the ground. Brick could move his hands about two feet from each other, but that was it. That, however, was a significant improvement over the rope, which had given him no movement at all. He flexed his fingers. They were still stiff and sore. 
He wondered how in the gods' names Ander expected him to smith anything in such a state. He'd need a full range of movement to do any hammering. But I take precautions, Ander was saying. He pulled out a second box from within the original. It was made of lead. Rick could recognize the material anywhere. Scarce as it was, it was valued for its protective properties. As soon as Ander opened the smaller box, Brick nearly threw up again. A vibration began in his wrists and moved up his arms, barreling into his chest and rendering him breathless. Brick looked up through blurry eyes. This will ensure you don't run away, he said. The object he held in his hand was metal-shaped into a silver crescent moon. He could see gears of a slightly contrasting silver, darker perhaps, on the underside as Ander showed it to him. It was the very center that there was a button of some sort, shining brass set with an ebony cap. I just push this button. Brick doubled over again. It felt like bees were stinging him up and down his arms. He heard a faint click, and then the pain was gone. And that's on the lowest setting, said Ander. Encased in this tiny mechanism is enough of a charge to melt your teeth. You wander too far, and you'll regret it. Understand? Ander was still smiling as he said this, delivering the threat as if it were as innocuous as a report on the weather. I <coughs> understand, said Brick. Are we ready, then? Sir Ander asked Brick, tilting his head to the side and sizing his up, him up. I thought you said I could rest, Brick said. I was being sarcastic, my boy. As they walked toward the forge, a long, low building with hammered metal roof, Brick thought of the rest of the asp. How had Lark escaped? Had she gone into hiding? She could pass as one of the courtesans if she wanted, but that seemed unlikely. Were she and Gresham just waiting for the right moment? Surely the entire retinue couldn't stand by while Gowan was in custody and presumably being tortured. But two days' wait? The camp was hardly half a day's ride away. Once we're in the forge, you'll have to be on your best behavior, said Ander. He was walking some paces ahead of Brick and turned over his shoulder to smile at him. He was flipping the moon-shaped mechanism in his hand, catching it every now and again. Sometimes the button would engage slightly, sending a shock of pain up Brick's arms and across his chest. Brick said nothing. You'll have the use of your hands, but one will be shackled still, not to mention the half-dozen guns you'll have pointed at the direction of your head, heart, and guts, elaborated the knight, as if he were reading his list to take to the town grocer. I don't recommend talking unless you're asked a direct question, mind. I, said Brick. Someone had stoked the forge, for it was sending off smoke out of the chimney. As Brick entered, he had an intense memory of home. The smell wasn't quite the same, but just the sight of the anvils and the familiar tools brought his father to mind. He saw the ruined smithy at Barnett and swallowed back tears. He could still see the shadow of his father, hefting a barrel full of coke or working the big bellows, his face smeared dark as a sodoran, and his merry blue eyes glinting out from underneath. But that was gone, and Brick had other worries. At least where Jack the smith was, there was no pain, or so Brick hoped. Sir Jesper was standing by the forge, his arms folded across his brawny chest. He was the only knight Brick had the chance to see before being tied up, and his was not a face to forget. Aside from being as bald as an apple, Jesper was lacking an eye, and he had made no effort to hide it with an eye patch, a hat, or even a bandana. The dark space where his eye presumably once was was mottled black and pink, a most unnatural scar. The rest of his face was pinched and sour. Brick couldn't imagine the man could even smile. 
Seated around the forge were six other knights, none of whom Brick recognized. They all wore their hats high, a larger version of the crimped one that Walt had worn earlier. Tied around their brims were the green and silver sashes characteristic of the order, and coupled with their long gray dusters, they were quite an imposing bunch. Not to mention that three of them had rifles across their laps, and the other three had pistols at the ready. "'Here he is, lads,' Ander said, prodding Brick forward. Brick faltered as he approached the forge, but Ander caught him with his arm across his middle. "'Let's get this over with, eh?' Jesper grunted. "'I've got things to do.' Oh, "'More like girls to do,' intoned one of the other knights, a middle-aged fellow with a close-cropped red beard, an islander perhaps like Gowan. "'Ah, not that there's any harm in that,' another said. "'Won't like we'll be able to have a chance till we get to Hartley.' "'Yes, and the ones up there are such frigid bitches.' replied Ander. They all seemed mildly amused by this, smiling and nodding to one another. Jesper just snorted and shuffled his feet. It was not the first time that Brick had noticed the tension between he and Ander, but seeing it, as opposed to hearing it, made quite a significant difference. It wasn't surprising the men liked Ander more. He had charisma, which Jesper lacked entirely. Jesper was a sulking, sour man, with little time or desire for long, drawn-out decisions. So, Ander was right in a way. Brick did owe him his life, whatever it was left at this point. Regardless of the quality of living at the moment, Brick knew by the way Jesper looked at him that he was as good as dead in the knight's mind. He wasn't sure that this little show would accomplish anything, but he was resigned to do it as best he could, exhaustion and injury aside. Maybe if he could delay, he would at least give the asp more time to get to him. So, we were supposed to have you among our ranks, Jesper said, taking a few heavy steps toward Brick. His spurs were completely utilitarian and rusted, probably with blood, Brick reflected. Jesper did not strike Brick as a man who worried much about taxing his horses, nor one concerned about the finer points of his appearance. But you've gone asp, and Andrew here thinks you're worth our time to see what you can do. He did come with high recommendations, said another of the knights, a younger fellow with round spectacles. Jesper rolled his eye and shook his head. Sure enough, dog, but things change. I don't trust anyone who spent time with the Asp, and especially not with that ham-hugger Gowan of Fenley. He spat and cranked the forge. Regardless, said Ander, approaching Brick, I think it's worth it for us to see just what he can do. The first test was easy. Ander had removed the shackle from Brick's left hand, so he had enough movement to go about his work. It took a little working, and getting used to the lay of the forge, he had never been in any other than his own, but eventually he got the rhythm of smithing again. "'Just a horseshoe?' Brick muttered to himself under his breath, his words lost in the high hiss of the iron in the tempering vat. He held it up when he was done, and Ander took it from the tongs once it was cool enough to handle. "'Good enough,' said Ander, tossing it to Jesper, who had not been entirely prepared. He had been staring out the front doors, but managed to catch the shoe with one hand, barely missing a most uncomfortable blow to the gut. "'Would you say?' "'Fine,' said Jesper." So he can mend a horseshoe. So can half the girls here. Doesn't prove anything. Haley, said Ander, waving over the young spectacled knight Jesper had called Doc earlier. Handbrick your pistol. He paused as Haley stood and removed his gun. Without bullets, please. Haley did as he was told, and handed the pistol over to Brick. Just the feeling of the gun in his hand quickened Brick's blood. He wished to the gods that he could conjure some bullets up. What do you want me to do with it? asked Brick. "'Make it better,' said Ander. "'Doc's been having trouble with it as of late, jamming when it shouldn't be. 
We've taken it by Farquhar here, who does a bit of smithing on the side, but he can't seem to come up with any reason for its failure. It's an old gun. I can see that, interrupted Brick, insulted that Ander would question his understanding of the history of weaponry. Just let me look at it. Certainly, Ander said, letting his hand graze over the button on the device that controlled the shackles. Brick grit his teeth in response, but tried to ignore as best he could. The gun came apart easily within a few ticks, and Brick laid the pieces out on the largest of the anvils. It was old, probably eight decades or so, from what was largely considered to be the height of gunsmithing. Lots of the oak favored these older weapons, for though they were nowhere near as accurate as the newer military-issue guns Queen Malus had made by the hundreds in Hartley, they had more personality. The quality of the craftsmanship was higher, and the metals used were significantly more beautiful, taking time to etch designs on the barrels. Doc Haley's gun was a canth of scrollwork down the barrel, with matching etches on the grips. A handsome gun, by all accounts. At first, Brick couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. These older guns were fairly straightforward in design. But just as he was starting to consider that it might be a trick, he noticed a small, small flaw on the hammer of the gun itself. It wasn't apparent until he turned his head just so, the light hitting the corner of the metal, that he realized what it was. He held it out, squinting at it, and then moved over to the forge, turning down the heat. Though he couldn't be certain, he thought the hammer was an alloy and not a true metal. Many of the older guns had true metals like silver in their components, but as a symbol of value, most true metals wouldn't hold up under repeat use, and this piece had been replaced. Brick worked the metal until it was cool enough, and then, with the needle-nose pliers, gently bent back the piece of hair. He returned it back to the fire again, then took it to the anvil, tapping just a few times. He then used a file to get the last bit right, but after a few ticks, it was fixed. Putting the gun back together was easy, and Doc Haley turned the finished product over in his hands, his eyebrows knit over his spectacles. That easy? Farquhar frowned over at it. Doubt that made much of a difference. We'll see, said Doc Haley. Seems like a good fix. It would explain why it only works sometimes. It'd depend on the bullets you're using, I expect, Brick said. The hammer might hit some right, but not others. I suspect you have to get hand-done bullets for that one, right, being as it's so old? Uh-huh said Doc Haley, the look of surprise on his face strangely satisfying for Brick. How'd you know that? Hand-done bullets are naturally irregular, so there's no accounting for which machine made what ones. So, even though it's just a hair's difference, it was enough that with some it might discharge and not others. Fascinating, said Doc. The knights murmured to each other. Brick felt a flicker of pride. He had impressed them, or at least Doc Haley, and Ander was smiling at him in a way that for once Brick actually believed. "'Still not that impressive,' Jesper said, taking out his own gun. He turned it over in his hands. "'I reckon if this didn't work, I'd just toss it out and get another. "'Seems like a waste of time to spend so much time fixing something "'when it's just as good to get a new one. A better one, too.' "'Now, now,' said Jesper, Ander said, "'you will consult the boy.' He grinned and gestured to Sir Farquhar. "'The plans, please.' Farquhar stood and handed Ander a long metal tube tied at the end with a chain. It was corroded, the metal, bits of silver shining through the dark brown lines of wear. Ander took the tube in his free hand. The other still had the controls to the shackles, and then handed it to Brick. Read it, Ander said. The knights had all fallen silent. Brick could hear his heart thudding in his ears as he took the tube. It was heavier than he thought. The top chain had been cut, so it was difficult to open. Inside there were sheafs of engineer's draft, faded parchment, and a few notes of the smaller pieces of vellum and paper but it was Professor's handwriting. He recognized it right away. Though it was rushed, not the characteristic careful script he'd grown up reading, 
He scanned the pages, turning them quickly, putting together the creation she'd sketched. He choked back tears, knowing that she was likely gone from this world, wishing that she were here with him now. But the wishing for her presence was quickly turned into something else. Surprise. You want me to build this? Brick asked Ander, who was hovering over his shoulder. It was complicated, more so than anything Brick had ever seen before, and it was no plain tinkering. This was a war machine. You can read it. Of course, Brick said. It's Professor Shorthand. Farquhar burst out laughing, and Brick couldn't help but glare at the man. It isn't Shorthand, my boy, Ander said. It's Cypher. Complicated Cypher. How in the hells did you think it was Shorthand? Can't you read proper? Brick's cheeks burned with the shame of it, and he didn't respond. Of course he can't, Doc Haley said, who was now standing next to Brick, poring over the papers. He's a blacksmith's boy. He, but he learned her cipher all the same. Hells, said Jesper. But Jesper's expletive had nothing to do with Brick's realization or the excitement over his ability to read Professor's cipher. Standing aside from the gawking group, Jesper now held a hand to his neck. A dart protruded from it, oozing blue liquid through his fingers. Not blood, Brick thought immediately, but poison. Renman's poison. Jesper hit the ground like a sack of coke, and all the hells broke loose. Brick fell back against the side of the forge, searing the sleeve of his shirt as guns were drawn all around. The clink of steel and the click of safeties disengaged like strange metallic music. The doorway of the forge filled with familiar silhouettes. Renman, Din, Helter, and with a roar like demons in torment, Gowan of Fenley, bloodied and bruised, but very much alive. The giant of a man was frenzied, his eyes round in his face, his teeth gnashing together. There was smoke in his eyes, but Brick could swear that Gowan's hair even stood an end. He looked taller than before, a veritable giant. Put down the guns, he commanded. Two of the knights complied, but the other five, including Ander, didn't budge. We can settle this like gentlemen, Ander said diplomatically. It's a little late for that, Gregory, said Din with a sneer. So Ander did have a first name, after all. And it'll be even later if you don't tell me what you've poisoned Jesper with, said Doc Haley, his voice surprisingly sharp for a man Brick had assumed was a bit tender-footed. Redmond took a few paces into the room, swinging his long rifle from side to side. Won't kill him yet. Takes a while. Give us the boy! It was Gowan again, his voice making the anvils chime in response. Brick wondered where everyone else had gone and how Gowan had gotten free from wherever he was. He watched his lark emerge from the side of the forge dressed as he'd been, she had been when he first met her. She made no motion to indicate she saw him, but moved into position. From the roof, more asps appeared. Gresham and Kelper, Mesmer and Wellerin. The smithing test had been a perfect cover for their approach. No one had even noticed. They were so enraptured by Brick's performance. No blood's been spilled, Sally Din said, striding into the middle of the room. She sported a new duster, the color of dried blood. But the side of her face was roughed up, roughed up rather impressively, a bruise coloring her cheek from temple to chin. I'd like to keep it that way. The hells! cried Farquhar, as he grabbed the shackle controls from Ander, who was too slow. He took the mechanism and threw it to the ground, stomping it mercilessly with his foot. The world exploded into pain so intense Brick failed to remember who or what he was. The shackle was only on his right hand, but the vibrations moving up his arm reached every nerve in his body, turning them to liquid fire. His vision was a dappled canopy of red, black, and white, and his ears rang at such a horrendous timber it was likely his own skull would crack from it. There was no up or down, left or right. There was no air. There was no sight. All was pain, 
complete and perfect. It seemed to last an eternity, and brick began to fade from existence itself. Then as suddenly as it had begun, the pain stopped, but with it came something new. His vision slowly returned to him. He'd thrown up all over the front of his shirt, and his legs felt as if someone had replaced his bones with water. He felt the borders of his body redefined. He returned to himself again. But coming to, he realized that his right hand was buried in the coals of the forge, flames licking at his wrist. He could smell burnt flesh. Andrew was holding his hand there with his own, which was blistering with the heat as well. The knight was crying, tears spilling down his smooth cheeks and hissing as they hit the coals. Brick jerked and pulled his hand out of the fire. Then he screamed. His hand was gone. And then he saw it, still shackled, on the ground next to a bloodied block of wood. Then the world went very black, and Brick's last hope was that it was death calling him, and he would wrap himself up in the cool darkness forever. very excited about writing this chapter. Um, I had gone through a stint when I was writing this draft where I just followed Brick along for about five or six chapters and pretty much wrote his um, his storyline all the way up until he joins up with other people that I will leave unnamed at the moment. But um, this particular chapter came very fast and I knew that um, Gregory Ander, Sir Ander, would come back again and I wanted to put a little more depth to him. Indeed, at the end of the chapter, Brick loses his hand, so his right hand is lobbed off, presumably to save his life uh, at a certain point, because the mechanism that is causing him all this pain has been permanently charged, so who knows, um, as Ander said, it could melt his teeth. So it's a little ambiguous at the end whether or not it was Ander saving his life or what, but somehow in all the chaos, Brick does indeed lose a hand. Um, I remember writing this and feeling like a big jerk for doing this to Brick, but sometimes I think, um, sometimes it's just the way the story goes. So, um, other than that, there's not a whole lot. I really wanted to get him rescued and get him out of there. And, um, we're moving on to some really exciting chapters coming up. There's only 10 more to go. So, um, thanks for staying with me this long. I certainly appreciate it. As always, you can uh, log on to aldersgatecycle.com, leave comments, suggestions about this draft, what you think works, what you think doesn't work, what you think might, uh, what you enjoy. So always looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again so much for listening. I really appreciate it. AlderPod is written, produced, and performed by Natanya Barron under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>